Good morning. That was, that was better than earlier. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right. Ah, sounds good. But that doesn't mean church is over. Okay. We're just getting started. Pastor Tom looked good in his suit, didn't he? Yeah. Well, you know, today he's celebrating his 77th birthday. He doesn't look a day over 76. Actually, he acts like he's 18 most of the time. So if only we could do that when we get about uh, that age. But uh, before you all leave, make sure that you wish him a, a happy birthday. I was, I was about to say that it was his birthday suit, but that didn't sound good. So we'll, we'll skip that one. Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit now after so many activities over the last month. And we got to get back to business in Genesis chapter 19. So let's turn there, Genesis 19. Now, this is really a tremendously heavy chapter. We've dealt with it already. This is going to be our fourth week in Genesis chapter 19. Just a little quick background back in chapter 18. Abraham received a visitation from from the Lord, with two angel of, uh, angels of the Lord with him. And primarily the visit was to reestablish and to reconfirm the covenant that God had with Abraham, that through Abraham and Sarah, they would indeed have a child that would bring forth the promised seed. It was not Ishmael who came through the handmaiden Hagar, but it would be a son through Sarah, even at their advanced ages. Isaac or Isaac would be born, and then of course through Isaac would come Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel. From Israel... And the nation of Israel would be born, and from Israel would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But at the same time, the Lord speaks to Abraham about another reason for his coming, and that was that he had heard a cry from Sodom, and now Sodom needed to be judged. And we all know that in Sodom there lived a man named Lot, and Lot was, of course, Abraham's nephew. And Abraham cared deeply for Lot. But Lot had ended up in in Sodom due to a few reasons, beyond just the fact that Abraham gave him the choice of whether choosing to go in one direction or another when they needed to split up because of their herdsmen, you know, kind of struggling with each other. And Abraham gave Lot the choice. And Lot looked to the east and he looked to this very fertile land and very well-watered area, the plains of Jordan. And he chose to go in that direction. 
And in that direction, there was a city named Lot. And surrounding cities, one other one was Gomorrah. And of course, Sodom and Gomorrah are always linked together. Well, what we learn about Lot is that he chooses to go in that direction, but he, first of all, turns to Lot, I'm sorry, turns to Sodom, then he, then he pitches his tent towards Sodom, and then he moves towards Sodom, and then he ends up living in Sodom. And now Abraham, standing alone with, with God, as the angels now proceed to the city of Sodom, And he pleads with the Lord. Lord, would you who are righteous really judge the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from you to do that. Perhaps there are 50 righteous people in in Sodom. Lord, would you destroy the city? Would Would the judge of all the earth Do anything other than do what is right. And of course we know that the Lord said to him, No, if there are 50 righteous in the city, I won't destroy the city. 45? No, I won't destroy it for 45. I won't destroy it for 40, 30, or 20, or 10. The counting stopped there. And the Lord departed. Abraham went back home. We meet Lot in, in Sodom now at the beginning of chapter 19. The angels come, and he recognizes them at the gates of the city and and, and really bows down toward them, knowing, because remember that Lot is called a righteous man. He's called a just man. And that's been one of our struggles as we've been going, going through this study, is that here we're looking at a person who is called a righteous man, but we're realizing that he's barely righteous, barely just. But let's not forget that the Word of God is a mirror to our souls, too. So we need to be aware of that. So he has this knowledge. And he recognizes these men. And he says, come to my house and stay with me. And we know the rest of the story. The the very perversions of the city begin to come out. They They begin to erupt, as it were. As the men of the city come to Lot's house because they want to know these visitors in a sexually intimate way. Lot is having to compromise and uh, having been a compromiser already, he's trying to negotiate and of course they're not going to have anything to do with it. The city is prepared and ready now for judgment because there are no righteous people except for Lot. And included with Lot, of course, would be his family to come out. And this is why, why these angels come. They say, come on, Lot, you've got to get out of the city. You've got to leave this place. Now, don't, just leave. Don't pick, take anything with you from this city. Just go. Go get your sons. Or you have sons, you know, and... Well, he goes and try to, tries to talk to his sons-in-law, which were probably really just promised to, to his daughters. But they stay in Sodom. It was just time to get out. Lot lingers, doesn't see the necessity, the seriousness yet. 
Finally, they say, go to the mountain. And he says, oh, no, I can't go to the mountain. I might die there. So let me just go to Zoar. He tries to, he tries to set his own terms with God, you see. They finally leave. And upon exiting, wife of Lot and daughters leave with him. The wife lingers behind and just turns back towards Sodom. And she's turned into a pillar of salt. And even Jesus himself said, remember Lot's wife. We'll talk about that in a moment. At that point, we come to verse 27, and that's where we want to begin today. For now destruction has come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, who had been warned that this was going to happen, we come back to his camp. And it says that Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. That place where he would be able to see the plains of Jordan. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and, and toward all the land of the plain and beheld. And, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. By the way, that doesn't mean that he had forgotten him. He had always remembered the prayers of Abraham. That's for us to know. That's for our purposes. God remembers the prayers of the righteous. God remembered Abraham and sent Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which in the which Lot dwelt. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him for he feared to dwell in Zoar and he dwelt in a cave he and his two daughters you know there's much to be said about answered prayer as well as unanswered prayer in the word of God we could probably have the attitude as much of the world today and remember that the world in itself in and of itself is a very hopeless world there's, there's really not a lot of hope in this world without Jesus Christ amen there's no hope at all without Jesus Christ. But there is a world, and, and, and the best that they can hope for is to hope for the best. And you hear that a lot. People are just, well, we just hope for the best. That may be the way it is with the world, but when it comes to God's perspective, especially to us and toward us, it can be much more than that. It has to be much more than just hoping for the best. And that, listen, it is to be that way for every believer. Not just those who are what we consider the heroes of faith, like we consider Abraham the hero of faith. But remember this, Abraham was human. As human as we are. We've already seen where Abraham has made a few mistakes along the way, but, but he's faithful to God and he always turns to God and he always trusts in God. As a matter of fact, the next chapter, chapter 20, brings us back to a, a, another incident where Abraham kind of, sort of, falters and fails, just like we do from time to time in our own life. So please understand what I'm saying here. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we're told that the effective or the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, understand that the context of that particular statement is within this verse of Scripture. At the very beginning of the verse, it says, Confess your faults one to another. 
I like the context of this, this, this passage, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man available as much, because it is spoken to the church. It is spoken to people in the church who actually have to confess faults one to another, which means we all have faults. Is there anybody here that doesn't have any faults? Now, please don't raise your hands, because we all have faults. So in the church, we have to confess our faults one to another, and then it says that you may be healed. So there is what? There is an expected end to our prayers. But the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And Abraham was such a man, both a hero of faith, and as well as a, as a righteous man who entrusted his every care to the Lord. In this case, his nephew Lot and his family. While they were in Sodom, he cared for them. I know that it's easy sometimes, you know, today to say that, you know, we, we, we try to help people out. We try to help them go in the right direction. And then if they choose to go in the wrong direction, sometimes we just lift up our hands. And we just say, well, that's what he chose. That's what they chose. That's where they're going. That's just more power to them. God help them. God have mercy, right? But do we ever really forget? Abraham never forgot his love for his, his nephew Lot. And he also knew something about Lot. He was a righteous man. Lot had received the word of God from, from Abraham. And as we've spoken of many times, Abraham probably thought that there Lot would, would, would be able to stand as a witness for the God of Abraham. Which we find out really never happened. But he was well aware that the Lord was to be taken seriously. Abraham was well aware that God is to be taken seriously when it comes to his word and when it comes to bringing judgment, especially at that time when he was going to bring judgment upon the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham took God's word seriously. The friend of God pleaded with his maker to save Sodom on behalf of the righteous in the city, whether there be 50 or 45 or 40 or 30 or 20 or even 10. It is so important for all of us to take the Lord seriously in prayer. Let's just begin there. It is important for us to take the Lord seriously in prayer as Abraham did. He, he knew that Lot was a just man who could easily be entangled in the cares and the compromises of the world. We have loved ones like that that we pray for all the time. We, maybe that's us that we're describing here in this passage. Somebody who knows the Lord who is righteous. Because we've accepted the truth about Jesus Christ, we've received Jesus into our life. But right now we're not living that way. And we've been entangled in the cares of this world. But Abraham knew that Lot could be easily entangled in, in the cares and the compromises of the world. Something that we as believers must always keep in mind and heart while in prayer. That is why prayer is so important for us to keep seriously. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke about this kind of situation as did, as did Paul and Peter. For example, in, in, in Matthew chapter 13, where, where Jesus speaks of the, of the seed and the sower, the, the, the sower goes and casts seed on, on various types of soil. There was one type of soil that, that Jesus described uh, that, that really kind of fits Lot to a T here. In verse 22 of Matthew 13, it says, He also that, re that receives seed among the thorns is he that, re that heareth the word. 
and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. I mean, that is an apt description for Lot. Think about that for just a moment. When Lot chose to go in the direction of Sodom, what was that telling us? Here was a man who had heard the word from Abraham. Here was someone who knew God, knew about God, had something of a witness for God in his life. And yet the cares of the world, the cares of Sodom, were more attractive to him than the things of God. The deceitfulness of riches, which was Sodom, was more important to him than the things of God. And what would it do? It would choke the word as it chokes the word out of so many people today. That rather than turn to God in times of need, as Lot could have turned to the Lord and just done what he had said when he said, get out of here and go to the mountains. Instead, he has to argue with God. He becomes unfruitful. Well, he was unfruitful after Sodom. He was unfruitful in Sodom. He was, un- he was unfruitful before Sodom. His heart was already revealed. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What a picture that word entangled gives us. As if he's trying to, you know, work his way out of some kind of a vine, and then he just kind of gets all tangled up, you know. All tied up, which tells us that that's not freedom. That's not the freedom in Christ, the freedom to live righteously and to live godly before the Lord. He had that freedom taken away. He took it away himself. And he was in the yoke of bondage again. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, uses the same word entangled when he says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, speaking of those who have come to Christ and the knowledge of Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. The more we become entangled with the things of this world, the worse it is for us than when it was at the beginning of our walk with Christ. So it would be good at this point to remind, to be reminded of the contrast between Abraham, who was a faithful man, and Lot, who was a compromising man. Now, this is not a contrast between a godly man and a godless man, by no means. But it must bring us to ask this question. Actually, there's two questions I want you to ask. First of all, are we faithful Christians or are we compromising Christians? Are we faithful Christians or are we compromising Christians? And then secondly, do we seek the Lord with all our hearts or just part of us? Because the Bible encourages us to seek the Lord with all of our hearts. Too often we only seek Him with part of our hearts. We seek Him when it's convenient. We seek Him when we, we know, we're in, we, we know, Lord, let me just live my life, but when I'm in trouble, I'll come to you. That's, that's, that's seeking Him with only part of our hearts. Consider these contrasts between Abraham and Lot for just a moment. Abraham actively thought of others before himself. In fact, he constantly put Lot before himself. He really thought more of Lot than than of himself. 
We already mentioned that, you know, when he gave him the choice, you want to go this direction, which was pretty much desert, or you want to go that direction, which was pretty much, you know, fruitful land. And Lot looked, he said, ooh, that looks pretty good. So he goes in that direction. You'll notice that Abraham didn't say, well, you know, I'm the elder here. I'm going to go over there. No, he said, look, Lot, you choose. He thought of another person other than himself. And he went the other direction. The thing is, when Abraham went the other direction, he went toward the blessing. Lot did not. Lot, on the other hand, constantly put himself first. He was constantly thinking about himself and not about others. Think about that when you think of his family. Secondly, Abraham was always swift to obey the Lord. I mean, yeah, Abraham made made a few mistakes like we all do. But immediately when he was made aware of it, guess what? He went straight to the Lord. He went directly to God. And when God said to do something, Abraham always did it. He obeyed the Lord. He trusted God. Lot, on the other hand, he lingered and he hesitated when given instructions to save his family from Sodom. There wasn't that urgency, you see, in the heart of Lot. Until the, you know, the angels themselves were, 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 I mean, just pulling them out by the hand to get out of there. And then he was choosing to go where he wanted from Sodom and not where the, the, the Lord's angels had commanded. They said, get your family out of here, take nothing with you, but go to the mountain. And he tells them, I'm going to go to Zoar instead. I don't want to go to the mountain because, you know, I, I might die there. Well, who was he thinking of? Himself. Who told him to go to the mountain? God really did. Why? Because there's safety where God sends us. And if we go in faith, we will be safe. Instead, he chooses the long way around. We'll get to that in a moment. But that's that's the fact here about Lot. He was not swift to obey the Lord. Thirdly, Abraham not only spoke out against evil, he showed godly leadership. He showed godly leadership. Lot, on the other hand, showed an ineffectual leadership both in his home and in his community. He wasn't effective as a leader in his home. And when he was trying to negotiate with all of the men of of, of Sodom, uh, they were about to kill him. (laughs) That's that's not effectual leadership. And lastly, Abraham not only sought uh, uh, godly partners, he actually... Sought out God Himself. He sought God Himself. That's something we need to continue to learn learn from Abraham, is that he sought out God Himself. And the blessed thing is that God would seek him out. Abraham drew near to God, and guess what? God drew near to Abraham. That was chapter 18. It was God who visited Abraham. But it was because Abraham always sought out God. Lot, on the other hand, sought out ungodly solutions from ungodly people, negotiating with those who were ready to kill him. So something we need to remember about Abraham is found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Let me read it to you. Where Paul says, even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. 
Know ye therefore that they which are of faith. Now, please consider yourself as you look at this passage. Are you of faith? Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. The fact is, Lot had that opportunity. He had that privilege, even by blood. Yet it isn't about the blood. At least, the blood that Abraham and Lot shared. It was about faith and trust in the God of Abraham. And Abraham trusted God and Lot had the opportunity, but he didn't trust God. So now destruction has come to Sodom and Gomorrah. As the Lord said would happen. And Abraham surveys from where he had met with the Lord. Go back to verse 27 for just a moment. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo. And he just looked and he saw the smoke. He, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. You ever seen the smoke of a furnace? It just doesn't sit to just there. It just, it's rising up. So the smoke continued to rise up like a, in a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. And he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelled. It's, it's just a reminder. God heard the prayer of Abraham. Now, there was a certain an, an urgent anticipation in the heart of Abraham to rise early and to see what had happened. And what he saw, no doubt, struck him with the deepest sorrow and emotional strain. I would say that most of you may remember what happened 11 years ago on September 11th of 2001. You got up in the morning and you may have turned on the news as I did. And I saw the planes hit the towers, uh, uh, the twin towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. The first time the first one hit, uh, a lot of people thought maybe that was just an accident. But when the second one hit, there was no question that it was a terrorist attack. And our hearts sank. We prayed for our nation. We gathered together in our little church up here before we built this one, but we gathered and we prayed. We began to realize that Sunday after Sunday, more and more people were starting to come to church because there was a sudden urgency now. And we were pulling out all of our prophetic books, you know, and say, okay, what's happening here? People were asking, is this it? Is this, is the, well, you know, where were they before? <laughs> you see that there was, there was a lack of urgency before. We were kind of just, uh, you know, flowing along, you know, uh, we'd go to church when we wanted to, we'd go to, we didn't go when we didn't want to, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden this happens and, you know, the f- churches are packed. We became 
a united nation. There was, there was no major <coughs> uh, uh, divide between the Democrats and the Republicans. Everybody became an American and everybody was singing God bless America at every sporting event. And, and uh, you know, even, even in, in front of uh, gentlemen's clubs, they had a sign, God bless America. Like, this is weird, but, you know, it's... You know, all these things were happening, and, and so, you know, everybody's just, uh, you know, we became, you know, well, we've got to support our troops, and, and praise the Lord, we do, and we still do. But the fact of the matter is, we, we got to a point where all of a sudden things started kind of settling down, and, and churches started emptying out again, and, you know, we thought, well, we're just going to go back to the, what's normal, or considered normal, and, 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 and the urgency wasn't there any longer. Folks, the urgency is always there. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And you need to be ready. So where's everybody today? Where's the urgency? Are we back to where we were before? Well, the political parties are more divided now than ever before. That's why we need to pray for our country. Every day. God's in control. But we need to pray because there's an urgency. For every nation shall be judged before God. And Abraham had that understanding. The whole plain was filled with dense smoke soaring up into the sky, a smoke so dense that it seemed to be furiously flowing up from a huge burning furnace, one so large that it just seemed to cover the whole area. And he may have remembered his plea before the Lord, not just for Lot, but actually for whatever was righteous in Sodom. Verse 23 of Genesis 18, Abraham drew near. Listen, don't, don't ever discount those words. Abraham drew near. He drew near to the very heart of God. And he said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner. Oh, that is just far uh, to, to think that you would do anything like that, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. I mean, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham knew that God was going to do right because he knew that God was faithful. But he had a nephew in Sodom. And he had hoped that this nephew would have, would have preached the righteousness of God, the God of Abraham. There had to have been so many more righteous in the city. But there weren't. And God's remembrance of Abraham's prayer, as it is told to us here, bringing to mind that that Lot was not saved for his own sake. Lot was not saved for his own sake. He wasn't much of a witness for God, was he? He lived for the world, the bright lights, the pleasures, the wealth, the uh, the property, the position, the honor, the possessions of the world. This is what Lot was living for. And then he damaged and he disgraced and he discredited his own God. And yet he was saved for one reason and one reason only. Abraham, his uncle, prayed for him and God answered the prayer. You have people that need to be saved in your family? People that you know and that you love? Friends? Do you have people that you know or don't know Jesus Christ? Yes? Are you praying for them? 
Are you praying for them every day? Abraham prayed for Lot every day, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. You know why? Because he knew Lot. Oh, my, my nephew. I would like to just wake him up a little. Pray for him. And Abraham had to have known that. That God would save him. Simply because he spent time with his Lord. Abraham spent time with God. Folks, all of us, all of us have some time alone that we need to set apart from everything else in this day to spend time alone with God. Every one of us has that opportunity. Let's not waste it because this world is headed toward judgment. And God says, be ready. Jesus says, I'm coming. Things are going to start happening. We need to be ready. Spend time with God. Spend time alone with God. Abraham believed God's promises. And that's the kind of relationship that the Lord wants with us. He wants us to believe His promises. He wants us to know Him intimately so that we can trust Him. The more time spent with God, the more we can say, Yes, Lord, whatever it is that You're doing, I, I know I can trust You, even though I can't see it clearly, or, or else the things that I see right now, they don't, they don't make sense, but I know that You know, and You'll make sense out of it, and You can bring it to, to bear as far as sense is concerned. I will trust You. There's, there's this progression in James chapter 4, and I want you to look at it. James 4, verses 7 through 10, where James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, this is, this is a good place to start. We should all submit ourselves to God, because he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. Can you imagine that there's believers that haven't submitted themselves to God? We need to submit ourselves to God. So he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You having problems with the enemy tempting you and, 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 and terrorizing you at times? Then... Guess what? Resist him. And he'll flee from you. Verse 8 is the key verse here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That just means if you draw near to him, God draws near to you. God always came to Abraham. What a blessed friendship they had. We can have that friendship with him too. And then there are some necessary things. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. In other words, take sin seriously. And then lay it out before the Lord. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. When it comes to the fact that if there's things that are weighing you heavy, lay them out before God. He says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. You want to be lifted up? You've got to humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. I'm sure that this was something that Abraham did always. He humbled himself before God. Now the closing section, we need to get to the end part of it because this is really telling. But the closing section of our text in Genesis 19 records the incident. Another incident 
Now, we, we'd be hoping that Lot would be moving in a better direction, but, but listen, here's an incident of Lot's two daughters at a mountain cave reminding us of the terribly tragic consequences of Lot's backsliding and his inept leadership in his family. Let's, let's begin at verse 30. It says that Lot went up out of Zoar. Now, isn't that interesting? He was the one that wanted to go to Zoar. God told him, go to the mountains, and he said, no, I want to go to Zoar. If I go to the mountains, you know, I might die up there, so I'll go to Zohar. What's interesting is that they let him go. Now remember this, when God allows something that we want to do, if we continue to be persistent just because we want to do it ourselves, God says, okay. But every time he does that, what happens? There's consequences. I don't want to face those consequences. They hurt sometimes. You all understand that, right? And it hurts. I mean, it just be obedient to God and it doesn't hurt. Now, you may face trial, tribulation. You may face, face some affliction, suffering. But if you're doing it for God, praise the Lord, God will heal you. Because God says, I'll be with you. All right? But, but if we choose to do things ourselves, there's consequences. So here he is. He, he goes up out of Zoar and he dwelt in the mountain. That's also really That's where God wanted him to go in the first place. And his two daughters, but by the way, when you go someplace where God wanted you, but you, you only go not because you chose to do it, but you do it yourself, you don't go, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. You don't go in faith, you go in fear. And that's how he went. Notice the next phrase, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. So there's fear in the heart of Lot. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters, and the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. In other words, uh, there's, uh, there's no men anymore, you know, because of all the judgment. And, and so now we just have our father. And, uh, and so come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, uh, that we may preserve seed of our father. So, you know, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like a plan. It's like a, like a plan that these daughters had. Because they had a presumption. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in, lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Why? Because he was plastered. Drunk as a skunk. And it came to pass in the morrow, which is the next day, that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink uh, wine this night also. Hey, Dad, how about a little wine? Okay. And it says they made, it's not like they made him drink like they said, Okay, Dad, you got to drink this. But somehow they just brought the wine out and they said, You know, let's have some wine. And have some more. And have a little bit more. Dad, just a little more. So she says, so let's make him drink and go thou and lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Sounds noble, doesn't it? (laughs) And they made their father drink wine that night also and the younger arose and lay with him and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. Why? Because he was (laughs) zonker. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami. The same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Now, where did the angels tell Lot to go in the first place? To the mountain? 
But what did Lot do? He argued with them and he chose to go to the place called Zoar. Now I've mentioned this again because Zoar means little one, remember. It means little one. They, had, they ended up letting him go there, but not without realizing that uh, that would also provide its consequences for Lot. So the consequences were of not trusting the Lord. He didn't trust the Lord. So the judgment of God falls, probably close enough to Zoar to scare the wits out of Lot, that he travels to the mountains where the Lord wanted him to go in the first place. But remember, he's not there in faith, but out of fear. So why is it that we, that we sometimes want to take the long way home? By choosing our own path rather than the one that God has prepared for us. Now, here now, Pastor, I mean, choosing the long way home sometimes is, is of a benefit. I, I, sometimes I'm coming from the west side of town back to the east side. and Man, at a certain time of day, everything just clogs up. So I kind of prepare myself to go off at a certain place because I live down in the lower valley. So I find those little side streets that get me to where it's just safer to drive, you know. So sometimes taking the long way home isn't a bad thing. But it is when God tells you to go in one direction to save you and you chose to go in a different direction to eventually get to where He wants you to go in the first place, but you don't go there by faith. And if you don't go there by faith, there are going to be consequences for that. Even when you get to where God wants you to be because you're not there trusting Him, you're there in fear. So why do we then run to Zoar? Why do we run to little ones of this world, the little places of this world, or the little people of this world that give us all kinds of ungodly counsel and unbiblical counsel? We, we, we always want to go there rather than just go straight to where God tells us to go in the first place. Is this striking a chord with anybody here? Or am I just making a lot of noise? Are you with me here? Is it making sense? Too often, that's what we do. We question God. That's a lack of faith. We should be running to the rock of our salvation. Run to the mountain. If God says, go to the mountain, go to the mountain. Do I? Because the mountain is Christ. He is the rock. He's the rock of our salvation. Go to Jesus Christ. And take refuge beneath the shadow of His wings. Consider David's cry in Psalm 61. And by the way, today you get a special treat. You get to hear the whole psalm, Psalm 61. And it's free. Psalm 61, eight verses. Wonderful passage. See if you fit in this place. This is David, the king. David, the psalmist. David, the shepherd. David, the human. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Have any of you been overwhelmed by the things of this life? In this world? Have you been overwhelmed? How many of you have been overwhelmed? You know, I, if I could put both of my feet up, I would do that. Many times I've been overwhelmed in this life. And David was overwhelmed. And he said, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Would any place we go other than that be safe for us? I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, the cover of the wings of God. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And you think God is saying, go to the mountains, it's higher than you, Lot. Oh no, I want to go to Zoar. Let's go the long way around. Let's go our own way. Find out that it's not the best way. The best way is always, especially in a time of desperation, like it was for Lot and his family, it was time to do what God wanted him to do. So now when you read what Lot's daughters did, you may, as some people have believed, come to the conclusion that they thought God destroyed all life except for them. And so they needed to have sexual relations with their father to keep life going on planet Earth. Now, that may sound reasonable, but it is wrong. Because they just came from Zoar, a city where there were people. And the city was not destroyed. And there were people there who were not destroyed. So they knew there were other people. Now think about this. They also had to have known that God was not going to judge Abraham. So somewhere out there was a relative who would have welcomed them back into his camp. Were they thinking about that? Not at all. Now, it could be that they felt that no one would have contact with them because they came from the cities that were destroyed. And while that's a possibility, the fact is, just the clear, plain fact is that they didn't trust the Lord and they resorted to their own plan to fulfill what they wanted. They knew that it was wrong and they knew their father Lot. He had a lot of problems. He had a lot of difficulties in life, but he was a righteous man. He was a just man. He would never go for this thing. Oh, Father, you know what? Did you have sexual relations with us? We can keep your seed going. No. They had to get him drunk to carry out this sin. So what does that tell us about them? It tells us that living in Sodom did affect Lot's daughters as well and not in a good way. As living in the world today... And letting the world influence us would not be a good thing either. You see, John, in writing his first letter to the church, would write in, in, in chapter 2, verse 15 and following, he says, love not the world. He says, don't love the world. You're in the world, but don't love it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, we either have the love of the Father in us or we have the love of the world. They can't coexist in us. So if we're believers in Jesus Christ, and the love of the Father has to reign in us. But it says, if a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If all you want is the things of the world, if all you care about is what happens on this, on this earth without thinking about our heavenly home, there's something wrong. 
He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Doing the will of God. What were the daughters doing? <laughs> some, some people have asked, where, where did they get the wine? Well, they may have picked it up from Zoar. That might be where they stopped, you know, and for a little while and, you know, said, we've got to get out of here, but first let's get some wine. Could have been that. But they also may have brought it with them from Sodom. And that's a greater possibility here. Because certainly if they did that, you would again have to realize that rather than leave Sodom with only the clothes on their backs... They had time to bring with them the things of the world. In this case, something that would prove to be disastrous. And you'll see why in just a moment. It is significant that the acts of incest were uh, were perpetrated by the daughters of Lot, reminding us of Sodom's influence on them. The death and destruction of their very hometown was mostly due to the sexual perversities that were rampant in Sodom. Homosexuality. All kinds of of even heterosexual perversions were rampant. And we talked a few weeks ago about other things that happened in Sodom as well. Their their lack of taking care of the poor, their lack of of, of having any kind of, of resolve to help others in times of need. They were a completely selfish kind of people. But it was the sexual perversities that were rampant in Sodom. Even to the extent that their fiancés, you know, these these daughters' fiancés or husbands, as it were, were killed in the judgment. They didn't come out. They thought that Lot was joking. Lot wasn't joking. Problem was that Lot wasn't as serious as he needed to be about the situation. And still, 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 the daughters persisted in having relations with their father. And let me make one more point about Lot. In his own drunkenness. And think about this for a moment. In his own drunkenness, Lot carried out the shameful act that he himself had suggested to the men of Sodom, which was that he lay with his own daughters. Remember when he said to them, Here, take my daughters and have them instead. How ironic, how sadly ironic that he lay with his own daughters. And so we are introduced now to the long-lasting consequences. And may I say to you, it is, they are long-lasting. They gave birth, these daughters gave birth to boys, Moab and Ben-Ami, whose descendants were the Moabites and Ammonites. And if you go throughout Scripture, the Moabites and the Ammonites were perennial enemies of Israel. Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Abraham through Isaac, 
from Isaac through Jacob, Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. And his sons would become the, the, the basis of the families and the tribes of Israel. Moab and, and, and Ammon would become their greatest, some of their greatest enemies. That is a consequence. Moab means from, from the father. Benami means son of the kinsmen or the son of the people. These children would perpetuate along with Abraham's Ishmael who came through Hagar or Hagar. These children would perpetuate and be responsible for a number of nations that would become a thorn in the side of the children of Israel even to this day. When have they stopped being enemies of Israel? Does this not tell us how true God's Word is? And yet we have a political party today that doesn't even want to mention that Jerusalem is indeed the capital of the state of Israel. That's a sad thing to me. Because I tell you what, you don't find any other city more important in the scriptures on this earth than Jerusalem. No other city is mentioned here of greater importance. It is the one city that God wanted built on this earth. What does that tell us of the long-lasting effects and consequences of sinful actions? They last a long time. Listen, the Moabites seduced the men of Israel almost immediately after there was a nation of Israel because the Moabites seduced the men of Israel and caused them to sin. In the book of Numbers 25, let me read this to you. It says that Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. But it was Moab that seduced them into this kind of lifestyle. The Ammonites taught Israel to worship Molech or Milcom. And they would sacrifice their children in the arms of this fire-heated bronze statue. That a statue of, of Molech with his arms like this. And they would heat up this whole bronze statue. And, and, and the, 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 the arms were so, so hot. But yet they would put their children on those arms. That was their sacrifice to this God of the Ammonites, Molech. 1 Kings 11.33 Because they, Israel, have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, which is Molech, the god of the children of Ammon. And have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes and to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father. Moab and Ammon grew up to be haters of Israel to the extent that they would do everything to get them away from their God and to commit all of these heinous types of abominations. But the Moabites and the Ammonites, they would settle on the eastern side of the Jordan and would be enemies of the Israelites. In fact, the capital of Jordan today the nation of Jordan, the capital Amman, gets its name from the Ammonites. And they are still enemies of Israel. Long-lasting consequences. 
And so as we close our study today, may we learn these lessons the Lord is showing us. May we remember Lot's wife as an example of what we are not to do. Not to look back longingly for this world's pleasures and possessions as she did. Let's remember the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12 when he says to the church, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Why does he say that? Because you see, we don't belong to this world. If we have come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are not of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven now. So he says, you are strangers and pilgrims. You're just going through this world, but you're not of it. But let me tell you, I beseech you, abstain from, earthly, from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conversation, which means having your conduct honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Your words of witness of Christ, your life as a witness of Christ, can affect the lives of those who need Jesus Christ in this world today. Lot had the opportunity to, to let his witness for the God of Abraham shine, but it never shined because he was a dull, dull, dull light. He put a bushel basket over his light. And folks, a boat needs to be on the water, but in the water, to function properly. But when water gets into the boat and continues to come into the boat, you can rest assured the boat will sink. The same is true for us as believers. We need to be in this world, shining brightly for Jesus. We're overcomers, we walk above, but we're in this world. We need to be in this world shining brightly for Jesus, not compromising our faith whatsoever. But as soon as the world gets into us, you can rest assured, you will sink. You'll find yourself drifting away from God and away from His Word and away from His people and away from fellowship and away from the things that truly matter the most in your life. So may we listen and may we obey. And let us not look back. Let's not look back. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.12-14, not as though I had already attained. Paul is showing us how human he was. He says, I had, uh, it's not as though I had already attained, either were made perfect or already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that from which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. And I love that phrase, this one thing I do. So often we're out doing all kinds of things, but he just said, you know, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is what we as believers in Jesus Christ are to do every day. Press, press, press forward. Press for the prize of the high calling of God. Let's not look back. You know what we need to do? Let's look up. Let's not look back. Let's look up. Why? Because Jesus said, keep looking up for your redemption draws near. 
Your redemption is drawing nigh. Jesus said, I'm coming. Are you ready for His coming? Are you ready for His return? Not too many amens there. I hope there's a whole room full of people that are ready for Jesus to come back. The thing, the thing about it is He can come back at any moment. He can come back now. Be nice. This is a great launching pad from here. Go home. Vámonos. But you know what? It could be anywhere and any time. And you know what? He still wants to save people. He still wants people saved. That's how gracious our God is. So let's be busy. This is, you know, doing the Father's business. But let's not look back. Let's look up. Our redemption does indeed draw nigh. As we prepare to pass out the elements of communion this morning, I just want you to consider the mirror of the Word of God today. What has it shown you about yourself? Primarily, I truly believe that the Lord is speaking to every believer here that is struggling with the temptations of this world, struggling with the things that this world has been throwing at you, that the enemy has been throwing at you. You know, our greatest enemies, the Bible tells us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and, and yet, God says, I, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you always. Aren't you glad that the Lord said that? Because we need Him to be with us always, because the enemy is going to throw all these things at us. But a lot of times it's us. So believers, today's a good day to be recommitted to Jesus Christ. There may be some of you here today who have never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now's a good time to say to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I realize that you brought me here. I, I didn't just come. You brought me here to hear this message. To remind me about what Jesus Christ came to this earth to do. To die on a cross for me. And I'm here on a day when they're going to take communion. They're going to take a little piece of bread and, and, and this cup. And so, Lord, that's to, remember, to, to remind us of what Jesus did for us. He died in my place. He shed His blood for my forgiveness. So, Lord, have mercy on my soul today. Give me a new heart and a new mind. If you never prayed to do, you know, pray that today. But for all of us, take this bread and take this cup because it's for sinners. Know how much God loves you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. So don't leave here without Jesus Christ. If He's brought you here, respond to Him. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I tell you, man, the burdens of this world, I can tell you the burdens of this world can weigh so heavy on us. And the Lord is saying, Let me take the weight off of you. I already took it on the cross. And it hangs away from you. But you must believe and trust in me. Let's have the men come forward. And...